With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me this week from Chicago, about to hop on a flight to head down to South Africa. A couple flights, I think. To get to Kyle Lamy, where the Intercontinental GT Challenge, powered by Pirelli, concludes its 2019 season with the Kyle Lamy nine hours this weekend. We'll be previewing that at the end of the show here this week. Plenty, though, to get to before then, including a recap of everything that took place last weekend with the FIA GT World Cup at Macau. A lot to cover there. The Coda 24, part of the Creventic 24-hour series, that uh, race took place over the weekend as well. We'll talk about that. Some big news this week from the world of sports car racing, including Peugeot announcing they're going hypercar racing. We'll talk more about that in a little while. And also, uh, like I said, and look ahead to what's going to happen in Kyle Lamy and answer some listener questions, which came in this week as well. Well, John, let's get started then by talking about uh, some of the action from over the weekend. We'll talk about Macau first, where Raffaele Marchiello picked up his first FIA GT World Cup win, doing so for Mercedes-AMG, which has been on a bit of a hot streak at this particular race. And I'll tell you what, we talked about it on last week's show, I think it was. Uh, we certainly talked about it in the past. This is not the best setting for this event in, in most years. That's the way it plays out. But actually... We had a pretty good FIA GT World Cup at Macau this time around. Yeah, I would say it was pretty entertaining. Um, there were definitely some accidents, some incidents throughout the weekend. Um, of note uh, that comes to mind is Kevin Estra having an accident, I believe, in free practice two, or was it qualifying? Um, then he had another one in, in, the, in the, the main race on Sunday, and so that's really unfortunate there. The other big accident, I would say, was from race one with um, Maro Engel getting caught up with uh, some contact with Kelvin Vanderlinde and plowing into Eduardo Mortara, his teammate, um, ending up in two Mercedes out of the race in race one. Uh, Marcello obviously won the, the the qualifying race there, but and ended up going on to win the the main race and and give uh, Mercedes AMG a, a, another win in this FIA GT World Cup. But um, I would say in terms of the levels of entertainment, it was definitely more exciting than last year. Um, I was there in person last year, and I'd have to say it was a bit of a dull weekend there was only i think 14 cars um this year 17 so it wasn't a big difference but um i would say the the bop could might have been a little closer there seemed to be a lot more battles on track um i was really impressed by the efforts from the the rover racing porsches of earl bamber and lawrence vanthor um they seemed to be neck and neck the entire weekend you know side by side running in, in, a, in a pack um in the main race, it was quite interesting because Lawrence was running second at the time. He sort of led up to let Earl try to give a chance to to go take the fight to Marciello. He got really close on the last lap, but then Earl backed up in the final corner knowing he couldn't have won, and he gave that position back to Larry. So it was kind of cool seeing the, how the two Porsche drivers sort of worked with each other. You know, they're pretty much best friends off the track as well and um, usually sharing a car in the WeatherTech Championship. And it was kind of cool to see that uh, camaraderie, you know, in, in this event. But um, all in all, um, yeah, I, I would say it was a, a really um, exciting event. I still don't agree on the FIA GT World Cup being held here in Macau, but I think this 
event certainly deserves a GT3 race of some kind, and uh, we saw another great one this this past weekend. Yeah, I think 17 cars is about the right amount for this event. We've talked about that in the past. You get too many more than that, and, and we've seen the pileups that, that can result uh, probably primarily because of the tight nature of this course. And 14 last year, we talked about it then. That's, that's probably lower than you'd like to see, but this does seem like a, a pretty healthy spot in the middle. And as far as uh, Marciello is concerned, winning this, as successful as he has been in GT3 racing globally the last handful of years, this has not been a good event for him. I think his previous best was fifth. And this is another feather in the cap of one of the real up-and-coming stars of GT racing. Yeah, and he had a, a pretty strange season this year. I wouldn't say strange, but just nothing really stuck out, you know, in terms of championship titles or or, or, or major wins um, this year. So to, to get this for you know at the end of the year is is definitely a rewarding um, achievement for for Raffaele because um, heading into ne- this weekend's um, Kailami Nine Hour, he actually doesn't. He's in one of the cars that has the chance to win the Intercontinental GT Challenge Championship, but he can't actually win the title because he's be built behind points on Maxi Book. So um, this was pretty much his final chance to go out and win something this year, and he did. So um, really um, hats off to his uh, a great drive and, and sustaining the pressure from the, the Porsches in the end. And what is the significance for Mercedes-AMG? They've now won three of the five races in Macau that have been under the FIA GT World Cup moniker since that it, it achieved the, the World Cup status from the FIA. Fourth now win for Mercedes-AMG at this event overall, which ties Audi for the most in the history of the event. And I have to imagine they take a great deal of pride in that accomplishment. Yeah, there's a there's a few manufacturers, and I'll, I'll say a few. You know, basically Mercedes, Audi, and um, Porsche to to a good extent that take this event extremely seriously. All of the bosses, uh, motorsport bosses, are are there at the event. Um, they have full factory lineups, and not discrediting from BMW. You know, Augusto Farfus was there. Um, Joel Erickson as well. And Farfus won this race last year. We have to remember as well in in a real stunning drive. But um, I, I think that you know. This, this, given the backdrop, given where it's at, um, there's a lot of pressure to perform, and there, it's very much almost a manufacturer's battle more than just a driver's battle, too. So, um, for Mercedes to to click off another win, I, I think that's huge, especially with the Evo car coming next year. Um, when it comes down to these manufacturers, they're trying to use this as a marketing exercise to show that their car and or driver is the best in the world. And if you can win in Macau in one of the most treacherous, challenging circuits there are in the world, that could help drive sales of your customer GT3 cars. So, um, you know, this is something that definitely is going to, that comes at a right time for Mercedes AMG as they evolve to the Evo package for next year. Meanwhile, over the weekend, we had the 24 hours of Coda at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. It was a two-day affair, quite literally, uh, because of the intervention after 11 hours that allowed everyone to go home and sleep, and then they picked up once again the next day on Sunday. But at the end of 24 hours of racing, if not continuous, it was Jerome Blinkamol and Ben Keating, Felipe Fraga, and Cooper McNeil that picked up the victory for Black Falcon, Black Falcon's second consecutive 24 hours of Coda victory, as a matter of fact. Uh, They had a pretty big lead going into that overnight intervention that I mentioned after 11 hours of racing and really weren't challenged the rest of the way. It was a four-lap gap back to second place. Herbert Motorsport 
Had a Porsche 911 GT3R with uh, Alfred and Robert Renauer, Daniel Alamond, and Ralph Bone driving that car. That finished second, ultimately, but a, a pretty dominant performance from Keating, Fraga, McNeil, and Bleeka Mullen in the Black Falcon Mercedes, which started on pole and really weren't challenged uh, for, for the bulk of this race. Not a huge surprise. Good team, good car, good driver lineup as well, no doubt about it. And uh, so that uh, that's how that one wrapped up. Congratulations to the race winners. There were other class winners, of course, as well. You can find the full recap at sportscar365.com. But for now, let's take a break. When we return, we've got a lot of news to get to. Big news from Europe concerning hypercar. Peugeot looks like they might be headed to the hypercar ranks. They certainly said they were. So we'll talk about that, what it means, and more next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Jerome Liekemolen, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time to get to the news of the week now, John. We had some big news this week, no doubt about it. Peugeot, the name has been around in the rumor mill ever since they pulled out of LMP1, basically. When will they be back? That's been the storyline. And we finally have uh, some answers on that. And it came in a bit of a surprising revelation, not because we didn't think they would be interested in hypercar. That we've discussed before, but... It sounds like a full-on Peugeot factory effort is coming to the hypercar ranks just a few years from now. Yeah, um, this sort of came as a surprise to me because we had, like like you said, Ryan, we have been discussing the prospects of a potential customer Peugeot-engined project that was sort of a program proposed by Rebellion and Orica and sort of put together for possibly the year two of the WEC and then all of a sudden, this came out of nowhere, it came out of left field um, on Wednesday from a tweet from Peugeot saying that they're intending to return to top class sports car racing in 2022 with, with under the hypercar regulations with a hybrid. And um, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. It, it took I think it took the ACO by surprise, quite frankly, because I think it took uh, three or four hours for them to actually issue a statement on this. So it really wasn't actually coordinated by any anybody or anywhere um, on when this announcement came out. So, um, you know, luckily we were we were able to, to speak to some of the top brass at Peugeot a, a day later. Our, our Sam Smith, our e-racing 365 reporter, spoke to Jean-Marc Fineau, the the group PSA Motorsport Director the following day um, when when the sister brand DS was launching their Formula E program in Paris. And he confirmed to Sam that this is a full factory program and it's, quote, a courageous decision for the manufacturer to re-enter sports car racing. Um, you can find that story on Sports Car 365. But um, it was good to know that we we're, you know, this is a no-holds-bar-back program. It's the program's likely to be run out of its Peugeot Sport facility, where the previous 908 um, was built and developed and run. And um, Fineau didn't rule out potential involvement from other uh, third-party suppliers, as in the Norica, you know, to potentially help with an operational side. He said more details will come in 2020, and I think that the chances of something like that would be pretty high because. You look at you know previous partnerships like Yoast, were, you know with Audi, Orica had um, been the under, underpinnings of the Toyota program for some time. It's sort of taken a step back in recent years, but um, still, I, I think to to bottom line to see a third manufacturer confirm a hypercar sort of puts this whole thing that was under a big 
question mark. It, 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 it sort of makes it a legitimate prospect now, even though it's coming in year th- in season three in 2022-2023. Um, we now have three manufacturers that have committed you know, OEMs to, to build hypercars. So I think this is a huge moment for the WEC. I think there are several questions that come out of this announcement. One of them is the significance for hypercar, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think a lot of people, and myself included, would like to know why now? What about the situation has changed? Peugeot has been kicking the tires on a prototype for a while. We know they were close and ultimately elected not to do it in favor of Rallycross a few years ago. So what about the current situation made this attractive to them and to see them to make this uh, surprise announcement? Well, I'll fully disclose I'm no rally expert, so I may not have this 100% accurate. But from what I understand, the Citroen WRC program is rumored or is likely to end at the end of 2021. So if that's the case, this fits in that timeline for PSA's you know, major program you know, motorsport program to sort of evolve into hypercar the following year. That's my belief on why this has been announced now for 2022. Um, We haven't gotten any kind of official confirmation and um, please don't hold me to the Citroen news because I, 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 I've heard talk of it, but I don't know if it's actually a fact, but um, anyway, if that's the case, then it, it makes some sense of logic, you know, that the funds from that program would maybe go over to Hypercar. So I think that's probably the best way to answer that. Okay. And then like you were talking about before, this does add some legitimacy, it would seem, to the Hypercar concept, which we've talked about in the past. It's really reliant on making sure that the the Toyota program comes online. Not a whole lot of questions about that. Not so for the Aston Martin program, which has been awfully quiet in recent months. Some questions there. We know that there are some privateers like Baikalis and Glickenhaus that are interested, but adding a legitimate major OEM was the one thing that was missing. So what does this do for the the prospects of hypercar moving forward? And also, does it potentially put a spanner into the discussions about convergence between hypercar and DPI, which it seemed at least were in part driven by the fact that the ACO was desperate for manufacturers. Maybe does that lessen some of that desperation? I don't think it lessens any kind of desperation per se, or let's say it doesn't lessen the negotiations between IMSA and ACO about hypercar. I know there were some meetings this past week in Miami. Um, we're waiting to hear what the conclusions came from that. Um, all signs are pointing still in a positive direction that progress is being made on, on the likely integration of uh, DPI into the top class of the WEC. We don't have details. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't have a lot of information at this point, but I think it's still the drive and desire of the ACO, specifically Gerard Nouveau, to make that happen because it just opens the door for more manufacturers to commit. Um, The other interesting twist on this, and again, this is just a complete speculation on my part, and I have no factual evidence to confirm this, but say Peugeot built a prototype on a DPI platform, it would be significantly cheaper than going out and building a hypercar. Now, I know they announced hypercar hybrid. It was pretty clear in their press release, and I'm not denying that. But if there was a way to have a 
car built around the DPI regulations, especially with Peugeot set to re-enter the U.S. market in the in the next five years, I, I believe, this could be an opportunity to have a car built for both platforms. Now, that is dependent on a lot of things. Um, Peugeot said they're expecting an announcement, further details on their program in early 2020. So we'll have news on exactly what that'll be. Um, I've seen some reports out there indicating that this could um, result in Peugeot actually building a road car a hypercar, which I believe is false. I don't think there's any plans for that um, out of that automaker, at least from that brand. Um, it makes more sense for them to go the proto prototype route on a hypercar if that ends up being the case they 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 go with. But um, going back to the significance, this is huge. Like I said, um, it does encourage other manufacturers to start looking at it. But I think a lot of manufacturers are now waiting to see what happens on the IMSA front because if you can build a car to the IMSA DPI regulations and then have it be eligible everywhere, why wouldn't you do that instead of just doing a hypercar that could only maybe be eligible in WEC and Le Mans? Now, for Peugeot, that might be enough. We don't know if they really do have aspirations to expand to a motorsports program in the U.S., but considering their past of success in the, the endurance races in the States and coming over here before they didn't even weren't even selling cars on the road, I would sort of be inclined to think they do have interest to do the, the big races in America. So um, let's wait and see how all this sort of unravels, I'd say, in the next two or three months. Obviously, this is still years and years away, so to start speculating about potential drivers seems foolhardy, but it hasn't stopped drivers from putting their hands up and saying, yes, I'm interested. John Eric Verne, for instance, Antonio Felix da Costa as well, uh, have been on the record saying, yes, we'd like to be a part of it. I have to believe that guys who were involved with the Peugeot programs in the past, like Simon Pagano and uh, Sebastian Bourdais, would be interested in being involved in this as well? I mean, what, what do we know? What can we speculate about at this early <laughs> stage about potential drivers for this program that none of us knew were, was coming just a few yeah. days ago? Uh, yeah, so I, the, 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 the Vern and the Costa ones that make the most sense right now because they drive for DS in Formula E. So you, you put two and two together. Um, Jev's always said that he wants to race in the top class at Lamago for overall wins. So I think he, if he stays with DS in DS Tachita and, and that partnership in Formula E over the next couple seasons, it, it would be a no-brainer to have him be part of this program. Um, DaCosta, uh, likewise, he's shown his medal in, in prototype racing, even recently winning an LMP2 um, in Shanghai. But again, it's still very, very early days. I'm sure, I don't think they've even started even talking to drivers about this. And like you said about Pagano and Bourdais, that would make a lot of sense. But again, again, this is three, four yeah. years away. You know, we're talking Le Mans 2023 when this when this car will make its debut in the French Endurance Classic. And those drivers, um, believe it or not, may be getting up in age by then. They may be looking for younger drivers um, that are going through the junior formula ladder right now from, you know, French drivers to represent their nation. So um, who knows? But I, I, I think this at least gives a lot of optimism, you know, of what can happen. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was speaking to Richard Dean from United Autosports, and he expressed a lot of concern of where do the next generation drivers go? There are no seats in the top class because there are no factory efforts. And all of a sudden, within a matter of a few days, there is one. And then it could be another one. And maybe there's a third one in the next couple 
months because of this, you know, uh, uh, because of Peugeot's commitment. And um, I think this brings a lot of momentum for not only hypercar, but just top level prototype racing globally right now. Yeah, it was big news. It was exciting news. So really curious to see how this develops. Uh, always fun when something comes out of left field like this one did, but certainly good news. And uh, that's been pretty well welcomed, it seems like, by everyone from the inside and the outside of the sport. Let's get to some IMSA news. One thing of note that uh, came up in the last week, NBC and IMSA announced a new streaming service called Track Pass, which offers a new way for fans to watch some of the content and, and doesn't involve too many changes for fans as it stands right now. It seems to be pretty well received based on what I've seen. Well, there's a little bit of controversy. I'll put it in there right now. But um, basically, the Michelin Pilot Challenge and IMSA Prototype Challenge races that are streamed live on IMSA TV right now are going behind the paywall. So this is the Track Pass service, and users can either purchase it all. That would include some NASCAR, ARCA, I believe some other series, plus IMSA, or they can they can purchase an IMSA-only package, which I believe is $20 a year or $2 or $3 a month. So fans that are used to getting that content for free are now going to have to pay for it. The only upside here is that if you are not a cable subscriber right now, you can get live WeatherTech championship races as part of this package as well. So those cord cutters out there that maybe don't have Hulu TV or, or YouTube TV um, and are, are not looking for live other live sports, they can actually just pay $20 a year and get all IMSA live coverage with this new TrackPass streaming service. So there's some benefits there. Um, the other thing to be made clear is that for international listeners, nothing changes. Um, the, the Pilot Challenge and IMSA Prototype Challenge races will still be streamed on IMSA TV for those regions. And also qualifying for WeatherTech Championship will still be free on IMSA TV, as well as the Lamborghini Super Trofeo and Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA and Canada series. So um, a bit of a change. You know, I, I think this is sort of just a way of aligning more uh, of IMSA's properties under one network. Um, the the IPC and Pilot Challenge races are still going to be shown on a tape-delayed basis on, on NBC Sports Network, so that doesn't change either. It's just sort of a way on how to, the streaming will be delivered to fans. And personally, I'm a little scared about it because I think Pilot Challenge has been some of the best racing IMSA offers, and if you put it behind a paywall, people are going to start complaining and not wanting to pay. And it doesn't matter how cheap it is. You know, it's if you're talking, you know, 20 bucks a year, that's that's very affordable. That's very reasonable. It's cheaper than what the WEC season passes for the, the for to watch those races. But people are still going to not want to tune in or, or make a or make or they're going to want to make a stink about it on social media. And and, and I really have to feel for the people at Michelin and 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 um, the radio show limited with with John Hindoff and, and IMSA radio and everybody there, because this is not their fault. This is not their problem. This is a, it's a decision made by IMSA and NASCAR and to put everything into a more premium package that that could help you know reach potentially reach some new viewers um if 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 a nascar fan for instance subscribes to this they may run across the pilot challenge but i i still think this is might re lead to a reduction in live viewership of these of us 
these races, particularly the pilot challenge, which would sort of come at, at a negative point in, in my in my opinion. I would say that IndyCar went through this last year. Um, they, they had a similar streaming service brought by uh, NBC that, that affected Indy Lights in much the same way that Pilot Challenge is going to be affected by, by this. And there was some hand-wringing at the beginning of the season, but by and large, by the end of the year, most people seemed on board. Most people seemed to think that the price was worthwhile, and this is even more affordable than that. So uh, I... I I'm never really a fan of of making something that people used to be able to watch for free, now something that they have to pay for, and I certainly empathize with that. I do think this price point is reasonable. Um, It's not going to break the bank for just about anybody, so that's that's the good news there. And I I echo your sentiments for the the IMSA radio folks. This is not great news for them, and and, uh, I I work for IndyCar Radio, and we kind of had the same thing happen to us on, on the IndyCar side with this last year. But in general... I think it probably has a chance to be positive. Let's give it a chance. We'll see what happens. Some other IMSA news. There was some big silly season news, including a story that we had, John, about Mazda and Team Yost set to part ways, it would appear, after a couple of races in the 2020 season. Can you go through the details of what we know about this? Yeah, this has been a developing story over the last few months, and we finally had enough conclusive evidence to support to, to support this for us to write a story last week. The facts are that Mazda and Yoast are set to part ways following the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. Whether that's directly after or the end of the month is still a bit unclear, but um, it's our understanding the contract with Yoast runs through the end of that race in March. And so this poses a potential sticky situation between having two different teams operating the, the Mazda DPI program um, over the course of the year. Now, we have to also remember that Yoast has taken a much reduced role in this program in the last 12 months. Um, it's been largely run by Multimatic. If you've been at the track, um, you've seen a lot of Multimatic people, people from AER. Um, so, uh, honestly, this doesn't come as a huge surprise, but at the same time, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this transitions. Um, our, our sources indicate that it would be Multimatic likely to take over the entire program. Um, we know Chip Ganassi Racing has held discussions with them dating back to the summer. Um, we had Mike Hall, managing director of Chip Ganassi, confirm that to us back in September, but um, he said that was highly unlikely to happen for th- um, this coming year. I think they're looking at maybe something further down the line um, should a, a Ford DPI program not come together. Um, there. But going back to the Mazda and Yoast, yeah, it it is an end of an era. It will be. What we don't know right now is how, what will Yoast's involvement be at Daytona and Sebring. Um, The program is currently in testing, you know, uh, phases right now during the off-season run entirely by Multimatic, um, headed up by George Howard Chapel. So is George going to become the new team boss for for this program we don't know yet um mazda did uh confirm the replacement for john Doonan. oddly enough actually a few hours after we ran our story about yost and uh and mazda uh cutting ties um ex trd executive nelson cosgrove will be mazda's new motorsport director um he comes from mainly a nascar background in engineering over there um having worked for some nascar teams before joining trd in uh in a pre- as a president of a vice president of engineering and vehicle development, so um, 
definitely times are changing for Mazda. You know, there's been a lot of shakeup there, but just seeing some people concerned on the internet about this maybe being a step backwards, I, I really wouldn't look at it that way because um, there hasn't really been much Yoast in this Yoast program lately. And I think you can credit a lot of their recent success to Multimatic. And so um, I, I, I wouldn't say this is a real uh, step backwards for all this ha you know, going on behind the scenes. Um, and also to be clear, Mazda still has not officially communicated this. Um, when reached for a, a comment by us, a Mazda spokesperson told us that they have a long-term commitment to DPI, but they do not discuss contracts um, with, with specific teams. So um, we'll see what happens when the, the cars show up in Daytona, whether it'll be under Mazda Motorsports or Mazda Team Yoast, or we'll see a, a mid-season name change. Um, some questions still there, but um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a bit of a, uh, an un uneasy time in, in terms of the management shakeup we have going on within that organization. And what does this mean for Yoast? Because I think when this partnership was initially announced, it was almost universally lauded. We thought this was going to be the turning point for the Mazda program, and that really didn't quite materialize. And it is true that they haven't been all that involved, relatively speaking, with the Mazda program in the last 12 months or so. Uh, but you kind of wonder where this leaves this Yoast operation that is much loved in the sports car racing community and for good reason, considering all their success racing in, in sports cars for so many years. Yeah, the, the initial year in, in 2018, there was it's, it seemed like there was a lot of hostility between Yoast, Mazda, AER, Multimatic, um, not, aimed at any, not aimed at anybody directly. But when Yoast took over the program, they didn't have the freedoms it, uh, that they would have enjoyed with other manufacturers. They were locked into a lot of existing agreements with partners and suppliers. And it sort of seemed that they were sort of, they weren't the same Yoast that they could have been in other programs like we've seen with Audi. And so that was the general feeling that I got. Um, Ralph Guttner, who was basically in charge of the Mazda Team Yoast program, um, he had some disagreements with Mazda management mid-season. Ultimately, he was benched by, at the end of the year. Um, uh, was re reassigned within other programs within Yoast back in Germany. That, that at the same time, led to a big shakeup in in management and uh, engineering with Multimatic brought in. Um, race operations were basically undertaken by Multimatic, and that's where you saw the big shift from 2018 to 2019. And arguably, that's when you saw the biggest gains on the program when. Multimatic took a bigger step in its involvement. So where does this leave Yoast? Well, there hasn't been much Yoast in the last year anyway. They've actually been hiring a lot of U.S.-based mechanics for their contractual obligations to that program. They've only flown in a few Germans at, and for much of the races this past year. So um, honestly, I don't, I don't know where it leaves them. Um, there is Obviously, some new programs on the horizon, potentially, you know, for WEC with Hypercar and, and whatnot. And it'd be great to see them back in, in top-level sports car racing, but um, it's uh, haven't really heard anything. All right. Well, interesting topic for discussion, and we'll see where that uh, leads. I'm sure there'll be a lot more to be said about that in the coming months. Some other silly season news from IMSA. We've got a confirmation from Wayne Taylor Racing on what their driver lineup will look like, and we know that Jordan Taylor won't be a part of it because he's now officially been confirmed with Corvette Racing. 
Yeah, that only took about what six months. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Um, well, maybe actually more like three. But yeah, nonetheless, uh, GM has confirmed Jordan Taylor alongside Antonio Garcia. They still have not announced their endurance drivers, and from what we understand, there is at least one change there. Um, likely, um, Mike Rockenfeller not returning due to a clash with uh, Lama and a DTM race. So that's a bit unfortunate. But um, on the Wayne Taylor side, yeah. Um, Pretty much as we expected um, with Briscoe signing, um, we pretty much knew that back in September as well. But um, I think the bigger surprise might have been Ranger Vanderzander re- retaining his drive for next year. Um, that was very much up in the air, and it was still in question as of Petit Lama weekend. Um, I think Ranger um, proved to himself they had a you know he had to go out there and prove himself, and and he did. Um, great to see him back for a third consecutive year. Always a likable driver in the paddock, and I know he had a sort of a challenging year, and um, sort of to, to sort of see. Uh, ultimately the faith put back in him for 2020, I think is going to pay a lot of uh, dividends there with this new um, lineup of, of Renger and, and Ryan. And then the, the third driver for the endurance races will be Scott Dixon, who's um, no stranger to Briscoe. They were, he was the endurance driver on the Ford GT lineup there. Um, he makes his prototype racing return and we'll be doing the long distance races um, on loan from Honda and Chip Ganassi Racing. So that took some uh, some work to get done there, too, from what I understand. Um, Wayne Taylor was uh, working all the deals at Petit Le Mans to try to get Scott confirmed because of his other commitments in IndyCar, um, you know, that are direct competitors to the Wayne Taylor run Cadillac operation. But um, luckily, everything worked out. Yep, and uh, also Dixon and Briscoe were teammates in IndyCar, so they've known each other and driven together for a long time uh, in in sports cars and in open-wheel cars as well. Last topic for discussion in the news segment of the show, we've got some Intercontinental GT Challenge news. Another manufacturer looks like it's headed for a full commitment to the Globetrotting Championship, Aston Martin this time. Yeah, I spoke to John Gaw, the managing director of AMR, while in China, and he um, basically said if there's a full season Aston Martin entry in IGTC, they will uh, submit the, the manufacturer uh, fees required. I think it's only 50 or 60,000 euros, so it's not really a, a huge commitment, but um, it strengthens it would strengthen the championship significantly having another manufacturer. Um, from what we understand, it looks like our motorsport's going to be committing to a full season program, likely with two professional uh, line lineup uh, Aston Martins. There's going to be two of them this weekend in Kyalami alongside a uh, a pro am entry from uh, uh, Garage 59, which also appears to be doing a full season program. So um, Aston's ramping up efforts there. Um, great to see. We're probably going to lose at least one manufacturer in Nissan with KCMG going to a different manufacturer. But um, Lamborghini's already committed for next year. Now we got Aston likely. Um, looks like we could be knocking on the door of 10 manufacturers, which would be uh, quite incredible for, for this championship. Yeah, that would be huge indeed. You can find more on that and all of our stories, including the Brilli GT4 America schedules for 2020. That has been released. Plus, a look at what the entry list for the Asian Le Mans season opener is going to look like and a whole lot more at sportscar365.com. Hi, I'm Dan Cameron, and you're listening to Sportscar 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, John, let's get to some listener questions that came in 
during the last week or so. The first one from Masked Cosmo, who wants to know, do you know if the GT World Challenge America races will still be 90 minutes of length in 2020? Well, I think we're under the assumption they will be, but given that there's been announcements and <laughs> changing things all around, you know, between the races and formats, I guess you never know until you see the regulations in in stone. But I, I think that's the plan. Um, is that what you've heard, Ryan? Yeah, let's put it this way. Unless something changes that we haven't heard of, that is what's going to happen. That's what's been discussed. Certainly, that's the, the plan that's been communicated. But, uh, yeah, these things always subject to change, but I would be surprised if we did see a change. I think it's been reasonably well received by the paddock and by the fan base as well, for that matter. Uh, next question, we've got Ethan G. right again. Have there been any updates on Enzo Ida uh, since his hospitalization and induced coma in late August? Unfortunately, I have not heard anything. Um, we'll try to do some digging and, and get back to you on that. All right. Uh, next comes from at SportsNutChad on Twitter who used the hashtag AskDoubleStint and wanted to know any behind-the-scenes knowledge of how and why the Corvette driver change came about. He writes that he's not surprised that Jordan Taylor got the nod, but does have some questions about Jan Magnussen. Yeah, there's a lot of politics um, involved in this decision, and what we can say is that Pratt & Miller, the operators of the factory Corvette team, were behind Jan, and they were trying to show GM corporate evidence of Yan still being competitive, showing lap times, split times, etc. And they were pretty much rejected by a GM decision. So ultimately, that came down to the, the people at, in corporate. Um, tough situation, especially as somebody like Jordan's a talented driver. Um, I, I feel that he, you know, it will, make, will make a great fit within the team. But having that little bitterness already, you know, isn't probably going to help things as he integrates with the team full time. So, um, yeah, let's just say it's a, a bit political. Fair enough. Thank you for writing in. Finally, a comment from at Dr. Joey Bananas, who says he's so excited for the IMSA track pass. He says as a cord cutter, he couldn't get races unless he bought a cable package. Now, he says he can see live IMSA for $3 a month. Probably, he says, going for the $5 a month to see the NASCAR Modifieds, too. He says, bless NBC Sports Gold at IMSA for getting it. So, at least one happy fan out there with that announcement. And we love your questions and comments for future shows as well. You can leave them in the comment section, as Masked Cosmo and Ethan G. did, or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter, like SportsNutChad and Dr. Joey Bananas. And uh, you can have your question or comment on the show next time around. Finally, John, let's look ahead to what you're going to be doing this weekend. There's not a lot of tracks in the world that you can say you, you're going to for the first time, but Kyalami is one of them. I know you've been looking forward to this. we got Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli season finale coming up this weekend in South Africa. Yeah, this event I think a lot of people have been looking forward to for a very long time since Stefan Reitel announced it, I think back at Spa 2018, um, that it was going to be on the calendar of, of this year's Intercontinental GT Challenge powered by Pirelli. And um, yeah, a historic track back from the days. Um, this is the first major sports car event, I believe, in more than 20 years. Um, 
we got a championships to decide. Uh, it's it's going to be mega. Um, 30 cars on the entry list. I think that's a really respectable number to start with because, frankly, there aren't much local entries to go by. I think there's like two or three that are entered with some previous generation GT3 machinery. But a lot of the eyes are going to be on the on the championship battles. Right now, we have Maxi Book at the top of the leaderboard, um, three points ahead of Raffaele Marchiello. But like I said earlier in the show, the problem is they're both going to be in the same group of M Mercedes. So that basically gives Book the upper hand there. Um, his closest competitor is um, Frederick Verwish in, in one of the Audis. That's a six-point buffer there. So I think that's going to be the real um, close battle we'll be seeing on track. Also, Maxi Getz, um, at, also at 52 points with Verwish. So he's still in mathematically in it, as well as the trio of Porsche drivers, Dirk Werner, Dennis Olsen, and Matt Campbell, who have been split up for this weekend to try to strengthen Porsche's chances as well. So this opens up a huge possibility of of scenarios and and um and whatnot in, in terms of battles for the driver's championship the manufacturer's championship is a little more conclusive we see mercedes amg with a 22 point lead over porsche um audi which has won all of the manufacturer's titles in igtc history all three of them is already mathematically eliminated so um, it's going to be a battle between Mercedes and Porsche. 22 points, I'd say that's going to be a bit tough for Porsche to overcome, but they have some strong lineups um, this weekend as well. So I guess anything could happen. Um, really looking forward to this race. Like I said, uh, myself and Jake Kilshaw will be down there um, providing all of the coverage and uh, can't wait for it to kick off. Well, you guys have fun. Safe travels to you. Looking forward to all the coverage this weekend at sportscar365.com. That's it for us on the show this week. Thanks so much for listening and appreciate uh, if you would give us a rating and a review on iTunes and also write into future shows with hashtag AskDoubleStint or by leaving a comment in the comment section. Talk to you next week with the next edition of Double Stint.